Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Morning. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 4, and last Sunday the message was titled Genuine Ministry. You know, Ezekiel is the real deal. <laughs> Sometimes in maybe Western culture, um, you can see ministries that are very show ministry, some that are disingenuous. People get into ministry for various reasons. Uh, but when you look at Ezekiel, Isaiah, John, uh, you know, th- this is, these guys are the real deal. You know, the ladies involved who ministered under tough times. Um, so it's genuine ministry versus disingenuous ministry. Today we're going to look at the three signs. And um, it's kind of cool how, you know, human nature works. Sometimes we have conversations and Maybe if we're doing the wrong thing, we tune people out that we should be listening to. And you can see the difference between Ezekiel's ministry and Jesus's ministry. You know, when God just kept talking to his people, talking to his... Imagine that. Imagine getting... Imagine getting, and this is wrong on the hearer's part, bored or um, not interested in God talking to you. And this is what happened in this area of the 6th and 7th century B.C. and and further back. So God tried something different because he loves his people. He sent the prophet in and he does sort of like a show and tell without the tell. You know, Ezekiel's doing these kind of physical illustrations to try to get the people's attention because they're not listening. You know, and Jesus did something similar where he would do the parables But he would kind of look at a wedding or a a mourning situation and he would uh, make a spiritual truth out of that. So Jesus kind of did it in one area and Ezekiel is very interesting, did it in another area. And it's you look at what Ezekiel did and you say, gee, that must not have been easy for him to do that. Right. Because we naturally want to talk. And there was just very little talking when it came to Ezekiel. The people really had to pay attention because words were usually not used. Uh, I'm going to give you a little homework, and please don't get upset with me. Some of you might be saying, listen, I was going to go to the beach today, but I went to church first. Now you're giving, you don't have to do it today. But during the week, I would just ask you to look at 6th century B.C., 7th century B.C., Babylonian history. Look up Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that the Bible says is true. Um, Because as I go through the scripture, especially this is many chapters here, if you do some research into Babylonian history, if you go deep enough, you'll see Israel in there. You'll see the biblical uh, events that took place in the Bible. And you'll be like, wow, this is like, this isn't even Christian history. This is secular history, but it lines up perfectly. So I just want you to kind of, that's a little aside. You could do it this week, next week, 45 minutes, an hour. You'll be surprised as we go through the book how that'll give you a really nice foundation for what we're looking at. So we're going to check this out in three parts. So verse 1, God saying to Ezekiel, you also, son of man, take a clay tablet Right? That word tablet, if you translate it, could also be a brick or a block. And I'm going to get to that. And lay it before you and portray on it a city, Jerusalem. Lay siege against it. 
build a siege wall against it, heap up a mound against it, set camps against it also, and place battering rams against it all around. Moreover, take for yourself an iron plate and set it as an iron wall between you and the city, right? The city that he just built. Set your face against it and it shall be besieged and you shall lay siege against it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. So one out of three is the sign of the clay tablet or the clay brick. Now remember, every topography is different across the earth. You could live somewhere where you have very sandy soil. You could live somewhere where you have a lot of clay. Clay was very abundant in Babylon proper and some of its outlying properties. Uh, So he would take this, you could, wherever you went, actually I lived, my last house had a lot of clay. All he had to do was go down two inches from the grass and I could make anything in clay uh, because there just was so much clay in my backyard. It took so long for the water to dissipate dissipate when it rained. Um, And you can see, it's very interesting that you ever watch people on the beach, they're there for hours and they build these sand castles. Well, it is a sand and water and a sculptor. And you say, wow, that's like a work of art. It's a shame that when the rain comes, it's going to wash it away. So he's illustrating the final siege of Jerusalem. Now, let's go back in time. The Israelites were being a little stubborn with the Babylonians and they relied on Egypt and they relied on themselves and they relied on a lot of things. And the good prophets were saying, Egypt isn't going to help you. And the Babylonians are going to get through the wall and they're going to destroy the place. And you, you just need to submit for a time. And they wouldn't. So it's believed that Daniel and his friends were taken in the first besiegement. Babylonians come and they expatriate or they deport, whatever you want to call it, in chains, the Israelites to Babylon. They use them as slave labor. They use them in their so it's, it's, you, you watch these uh, historical, and this happens repeatedly through, because of sin over time. So the first uh, wave of expatriation, and then the second wave, it's understood that Ezekiel is now taken with thousands of other people. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar gets really ticked off. He's the leader of Babylon at the time, and he's just tired of the Israelites not submitting. Now, he's an ungodly man. He's just out for power. And finally, there's a third siege. Not only do they take people away, but they burn the the fields. They destroy the... It's just ugly. They steal all the gold and all the artifacts from the temple. Ezekiel is between the second and third deportation. So Jerusalem hasn't fallen yet. And he's saying to the people, Jerusalem's going to fall. Right? He's a prophet of God. And a lot of people don't believe it. So Ezekiel builds this, you could almost say sort of a Play-Doh city, right? right? A lot of us, like even as adults, we still like to play with Play-Doh. You can make nice things. It's kind of got a funky smell to it, and then it dries hard. But um, So Ezekiel, and some people are so they're dogmatic on, well, it, it was a picture. And some people are like, well, it's physical. You know, what's really important is not getting in the weeds, but what the message that God had. So he takes this brick, this block, and he, and he fashions it the best he can. Maybe Ezekiel was an artist. I don't know. And he builds the wall. And, and you can imagine all the people lined up, right? It's a POW camp. The Israelites are in Babylon. They're stuck there. 
And a certain time of day, they're all gathering by Ezekiel's house. He's not saying anything. So they have to watch his sort of mimes and his, the way he does things and figure out what he's doing. The wall goes up. The little Play-Doh soldiers are outside. There's a, a, a battering ram. There's a siege ram. Wouldn't take much to build this. And this is what's happening because the people are hard-hearted. They're not being reached by conventional means. And, and I, I just have a childish in a good way, imagination, where I can almost imagine the murmuring going on. Well, what, what is, hey, that's Jerusalem. Well, look at the wall. Are you sure? Look at the soldiers outside. And they're starting to come to this conclusion by watching him build this, this parabolic sort of physical play. Right? The iron plate, though, gets everyone's attention. Because everything's in clay. Now he, he gets this iron plate. And the priests would use these iron plates for various things. So this is the only thing now in the whole set that's iron. And he puts this plate between Jerusalem and probably Ezekiel's face, signifying God's face. And it's, God is, is blocking himself. He has to let this play out in the city and he can't intervene. It's a very, very powerful picture. No doubt some of the onlookers would get ticked off and leave. I'll go listen to these guys. They're saying Egypt's going to help us. We'll be out of here in a, in a year. And it didn't happen. So this indicates the grievous sins uh, and the behavior of the people over really centuries. And we're going to look at that. God's beloved city, a heartbreaking story where he at this point now he can't intervene. He's got to let it play out. Now, some people, they read the Bible and of course they read it out of context and they say, well, God is a mean God. I don't need to go into a lot of detail, but let's just say that God's own people were practicing taking their babies and heating up these demonic statues and frying their babies alive. I'm just, I'm just going to stop there. They were doing what the pagans were doing. So God's like, if this is the way you want to live, I can't be a part of this. God is holy. So that's just one little part of what they were doing to themselves. Right? So... Some see the, they, they kind of talk a lot about the, uh, the plate of the priesthood and all the illustrations. But I look at this as the, as the iron plate of our own making. Folks, we can get to a point in life where, where we make our own iron plates. And people do that. You know, there's a very chilling scripture in Matthew 12, 43 through 45, that Bible scholars have been debating for millennia. You can check that on your own as well. But that one, it just talks about the back and forth. Wanting God when you just feel like you need him or you need a lifeline. And then going back into the world and dabbling with things that are very ungodly. And then going back to God and then dabbling in the world. And you eventually get solidified really in, in a bad place. You know, Hosea 4.17, God through the prophet Hosea said, Ephraim, indicative of the northern kingdom, large uh, tribe is joined and I say that in capitals is joined to idols leave him alone sinning against the flood of light and yes God can get to the point where he says I've got to walk away from this I've got to walk away from this you know and I know he won't mind me saying this but I'm not God's defense attorney I'm not his PR person he doesn't trust me he doesn't need me but I try to look at things from all sides. And, you know, we have this idea in America where we we coddle people and we enable them to the point of destroying them. You know, my friend, who's a super incredible man of God, great pastor, has a testimony 
uh, Pastor Kevin of him drinking and drugging and doing all kinds of bad things. And eventually his wife said, enough. She changed the locks. You're not coming home. And he went sort of like the prodigal, but in a marital situation, and he hit the bottom. He actually got shot in a bad drug deal. Okay? This is open testimony. And he eventually hits the bottom, becomes a Christian, and then she was a little skeptical at first, but she finally lets him back in the house. This guy is, I look up to him. He's one of the most godly men that I know. But what if she just kept enabling him and enabling him and enabling him? God is not an enabler. And people read the Bible and they get frustrated with it or they, they think things wrong. Because, well, this is what love is. Are you, are you, are you serious what you're saying? Do you think that we can outlove God? God knows what he's doing. Prodigal son, the father scanned the horizon every day waiting for that boy to come home. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't run after him and pull him out of the pig pen. He waited for his son to hit the... That's tough. That is a tough gamble, folks. It really is. But God has to do this with the Israelites. He has no choice. Verse 3, he says, the city shall be besieged. This is a prophecy. In a few years, it's going to come true from this time. So, you know, you can look at... Why do the false prophets do what they do? Why do they, do they intentionally lie? Do they unwittingly lie? This, we have false prophets today that say things, and I just was talking to somebody who I'm trying to witness to, and he talks about a relative who went to a church, and he went to that church in another state, and the pastor was like, you need to pray to me. Now, this guy's not even a believer. He goes, that was a little weird. I said, bro, weird? That's off the charts, bro. You have a sense that God showed you discernment. Pray to me? What are you, nuts? Why do people do what they do? Right? Even unbelievers can see it. It can be obvious at times. Well, I'm just going to go into what I think. I think that they maybe want to be liked. A lot of people say wrong things about God or like things that are ungodly because they want to be like, this is a trap in social media or they want a following or they're just there to deceive. Loving shepherd has to say hard things at times. What a great message for father's day, fathers and mothers. You know, we have to do tough, tough things. Sometimes we have to get to the point where, listen, you know, we've all, if you, uh, if you've been a parent for a long time and you raise kids, Sometimes when they're really little and you do something they don't like, I hate you, daddy, or, you know, and they don't mean it, but it's like that cuts you, but you know you're doing the right thing for your children. So I definitely see a parallel here on the day we celebrate celebrate Father's Day. Verse 4, continuing on. This one's a little tough. He says, lie on your left side. God's telling Ezekiel to lie on his left side and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it. According to the number of days that you lie on it, you shall bear their iniquity. For I have laid on you the years of their iniquity, according to the number of the days, 390 days, so you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. And when you have completed them, lie again on your right side, then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. I have laid on you a day for each year is a representation here. Obviously, Ezekiel's not going to live 430 years, so he's got to convert it to days. Therefore, you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem. Your arm shall be uncovered and you shall prophesy against it. And surely I will constrain you so that you cannot turn from one side to another till you have ended the days of your siege. Doesn't sound like a fun ministry for Ezekiel, but the guy had grit. In addition to that, 
God told them that he was going to strengthen him. He was going to give Ezekiel a strength that Ezekiel just didn't possess. And we saw that in in the last time. So two out of three is the sign of Ezekiel lying on his side. Now, again, I have to make this uh, differentiation. Israel, the children of Israel, they go into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, and they... You know, they become this great nation. And then due to their wickedness, instead of being a light to the Gentiles, and some of them were, by the way, some of them were, many of them were, but the leadership largely wasn't, and some of the people followed, and they eventually split into the northern and southern kingdom. So if I say Israelites, I'm speaking about all the Jewish people to, you know, in totality. If I say the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, I'm speaking about after the split after Solomon. And then you had Rehoboam uh, and Jeroboam. Jeroboam was the north, Rehoboam was the south, the kings. And now Israel almost becomes at enmity with itself because they're split. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. So let's go through this. Ezekiel was to lay on the left side to indicate one year or one day to indicate one year of sin for the northern kingdom and 40 days on the right side one day equals one year, 40 years for the southern kingdom of Judah. So two questions are asked. How many hours of the day did he do this? And how do we account for the years? So I'll do the easier one. How many hours of the day did he do this? Well, Ezekiel had to eat. He had to drink. He had to go to the bathroom, so to speak. He had to do other things. So I'm going to speculate or use conjecture and say that This was something that Ezekiel did daily. The people would gather around. Maybe it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock. I don't know. Maybe it was in the morning. But it was a time that everybody would kind of come together and gather and say, oh, let's go to Ezekiel's house. Let's see what message God has for us today. And then he would do these things that are physical, and they would start to figure out what Ezekiel was saying. Now, understand, what I have to do is I have to shift you to the culture And I do that through history and and other things that I talk about. But suffice to say that the people would have totally understood what Ezekiel was saying. He was one of them. They were his people. Um, They knew the history. He knew the history. For us, it's a learning curve. So you ever think about this? Did you ever wonder? So 390 days is over a year. Newsflash, right? And did you ever think that maybe some of the people going to Ezekiel's house after a while were like, this is boring. Every day I go to Ezekiel's house, he's laying on the left side. This is weird. What does this mean? I wonder if anybody ever looked in the mirror, they had mirrors back then, and thought to themselves, maybe I'm irritated with Ezekiel. I'm irritated with God. Because I'm, you know, like in the American culture, they're looking for some type of show and they're not getting it. They're getting, he's laying on his side. Oh, it's been three months. He's still laying on his left side. When is this going to change? Did they ever think that, well, maybe for centuries, God watched our evil and maybe he got irritated with what we were doing. And it just kind of came to me as I'm studying this, right? People have so many expectations on God, but they don't often look at themselves and see, well, what kind of relationship am I giving to my creator? Right? So this would be really a wake-up call. A wake-up call. Verse 4, he says, lay the iniquity of sin against them. He also says, you shall bear their iniquity. Now remember, Ezekiel is God's representative. He's speaking for God. He's doing illustrations for God. 
he literally doesn't have the power to judge them or to bear their sins. That came with Jesus. But as a prophet prior to Christ, again, he was a mediator. He was a representation. He was trying to portray to them the severity of of what they were doing. And folks, today in a different level, post-Christ, of course, we can't do these things as far as bearing uh, iniquity or judging or even being a mediator. But we are ambassadors for Christ. The Apostle Paul tell us, tells us that we're representatives of Christ. In a sense, we also should be a physical illustration. When people look at our lives, even when we don't use words, like the famous expression says, do they see Jesus? It's amazing how all of these uh, pictures in the Bible come full circle 25, 2600 years later. It's amazing. So if we were to, to our coworkers, to our family members, that sometimes can be a tough one. Um, do they see, if we don't use words, through the course of our life that we show and represent Jesus? It's a good question, and only we can a- answer that. So he's. Bible scholars now to the, the next point have different opinions on how to get to these numbers. I'm going to throw a few out at there. I'm going to tell you some that I don't think are accurate and I'll tell you why. And these are, these are solid teachers, but they, and there's going to be those small areas in the scripture that are not soteriology, isn't going to determine whether we get into heaven or hell, that even solid Bible teachers will disagree on. So one of them is one, and I won't say who they are, but one of them uh, believes that the 40 years represents the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Now I have a problem with that. And that's the reason is because God differentiates them specifically that the 40 years are for Judah, the Southern kingdom. So that's a little bit of a stretch. Um, Others look at the 390 as the years of the northern kingdom from the Jeroboam-Rehoboam split to the Assyrian invasion and deportation. Well, when you add that up, it only comes up to 209 years. So then what others do is they take the bad years of the first king, Saul, and they add that to the 200. Am I losing anybody with this? (laughs) You know what I feel like? It feels like election day. How do we get to 270? You know, well, if you get to Iowa, you don't have to get Michigan necessarily. Oh, my goodness. That's annoying, too. So what we don't want to get involved in is numerology. And sometimes it's a little bit of a fringe. You know, God has numbers that represent certain things. But some people get so into numerology, the study of the numbers in the Bible, that they miss God and his message. They're all into the numbers. We can't get that way. Suffice to say that the Israelites would have known how these years, and you can line them up. There's certain things you do. One other thing that I wanted to bring about is that the 40 is important for the southern kingdom. Because the southern kingdom lasted a pretty long time. But why do they have less years of wickedness? And I'll tell you the answer. Is because in the northern kingdom, starting from Jeroboam, the wickedness was so great that the, all of the kings were wicked in the northern kingdom. There wasn't one good king. Something tried to lean that way, but it just was, they just kept following the footsteps of their fathers and grandfathers. In the southern kingdom, you had a lot of good kings. You had Hezekiah. You had Josiah. You had quite a few good kings. You had some that were bad, but then repented and turned good. So the 40 is going to be a lot less than the 390 because there were years that these good kings staved off judgment. Uh, Josiah specifically, Hezekiah from the Assyrians. 
It's, it's a fascinating study. So the number is, all, is very small compared to the other number. Okay, so we're going to move off the numbers here. Verse 7 through 8. He says that, so you have this model of the city. You have the lying on one side. In addition, Ezekiel is supposed to uncover his arm. So his arm was prominent. The iron plate was prominent. The arm was prominent. I believe that has to do with that God's arm is never restrained. Right? The iron plate separated his face for a time. He did restore them. We can get to that later. Um, and his arm was not restrained. He wasn't helpless when, the, when Nebuchadnezzar invaded and did all the things that he did. Not being able to turn from one side to another while lying down could possibly mean that no matter what the Israelites did, they could employ every mercenary from Egypt and all throughout the world, they were not going to thwart the Babylonian invasion. So they were going to be stuck with that bearing out those years of sin, whether they liked it or not. Um, The Israelites thought they could overcome in their own strength, and they were wrong. And, you know, folks, sometimes we do that too. Sometimes we get to a place in our walk with the Lord where we think we can do things in our own strength. But the Lord, he's not being mean. And and please, um, let me not make a direct parallel here because this was a horrible situation. So let's just, let's make a loose um, application in that God wants to walk with us. He wanted to walk with the Israelites. He wants to walk with us. And sometimes we run ahead of him and do it in our own strength. And you you might get a cane um, as a, a stupid prize for doing stupid things. You know what I'm saying? You'd have to be there for the announcements if you're just tuning in. <laughs> so, so let's continue. First, last, two, last few verses, verse 9, he says, Also take for yourself wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Man, sounds so healthy and good. And put them in a one vessel and make bread of them for yourself. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food which you shall eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day, which is only about eight ounces. From time to time, you shall eat it. So there's a rationing going on. We'll get to that. You shall also drink water by measure, one-sixth of a hin, which is about 22 ounces. From time to time, you shall drink, and you shall eat it as barley cakes and bake it using fuel of human waste in their sight. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) Then the Lord said... So shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread. It's defiled bread. It's bread of affliction among the Gentiles where I will drive them. So I said, ah, Lord God, indeed, I have never defiled myself from my youth until now. I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beast, nor was an abominable flesh has ever come into my mouth. Then he said to me, see, I am giving you cow dung instead of human waste. And you shall prepare your bread over it. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, surely I will cut off the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety shall drink water by measure and with dread. And they may lack bread and water and be dismayed with one another and waste away because of their iniquity. Not a pretty picture. So three out of three is the sign of the defiled bread. So here's my question to you. I just couldn't resist By a show of hands, how many people have ever eaten Ezekiel bread? Oh, boy. Here comes Pastor Wet Blanket. Um, I love to every so often uh, just kind of cut through some Christian cliches. Oh, Facebook and 
Christians put stuff on social media that are so theologically incorrect and I have to restrain myself from commenting. Unless they ask me, then I'll comment in a nice way. But Ezekiel bread has this scripture, Ezekiel 4.9 on its package about the, bean, the, leg, the legumes and the grains, the beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Okay, so it's right on their package, that scripture. However, this was not a happy time. So Ezekiel bread, I'm not saying anything bad about it. I would eat it again tomorrow. It's good for you. It's healthy. But somebody in their marketing department messed up because they presented the scripture on the bread. You're going to laugh when you, if you got it in your cupboard and you say, oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, read the whole scripture. It's not a positive thing. So somebody messed up in the marketing department. I might send them an email. I probably won't get an answer. But I don't think they're going to rename it. So continue eating the bread. I just found that to be funny. Remember, the bread that was eaten and spoken of here was during the siege and during the deportation. It was not enjoyable. So let me paint a picture for you. You find some grain on the ground mixed with sand. You're going to take it. You're going to put it in your pouch. You find bread in the storehouse that has mold all over. You're going to do the best you can to pick the mold off. You're going to put it in your pouch. Right? Somebody passed away, you might take some of their stuff. They don't need it anymore and put it in your pouch. This is what it's meant to portray. It's a hard time. Right? If you've ever studied siege warfare, forget about the Babylonians. Um, you know, Even in the last few hundred years, siege warfare is you, you inevitably, if the people outside and the Romans did this, and they encamp around the walls, if they wait long enough and they can get supply lines and the city can't, those people may give up because they're starving. So the same thing happened in Jerusalem. So this was not a positive thing. But I, I do want to have, end on a positive note as I can assure you that Ezekiel bread is not used with human or cow dung. I can assure you that. You know, So keep eating the bread. I don't want to get sued by the company. I'm just saying your marketing people erred a little bit. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> uh, where are we? So is, now, remember, this is the bread of affliction. So the, the Israelites went from a land of flowing with milk and honey, which even in poor countries, you don't necessarily have those staples. You could just have bread and water. Milk and honey to the bread of affliction. They did this in Egypt, right? And, and during the Passover, observing Jewish people. And I've, I've sat in on um, Passover seders, and, and they talk about the bread of affliction in the days of Egypt, right? And that they're free now. And it's a great feeling. I think we just recently celebrated Juneteenth, right? And that's a good thing. Liberty, freedom. People want to be free. But here they put themselves, the Israelites, back into bondage. Verse 14, Ezekiel objects. Imagine that. He objects and says, Lord, I don't want to cook with human waste. He says, I've always tried to set a good example. So God, you know, you wonder sometimes, was God waiting for an objection? Sometimes God tests his people, right? Was he waiting for an objection? Or was he just basically saying, Ezekiel, you and the people need to be, see the severity of what's coming. You need to see the severity of it. Now, the objection, and again, I believe Ezekiel had, had the right heart or God wouldn't have chosen him. But the objection of the people, they committed so much of a preponderance of evil that defiling themselves with ways to cook their meals wasn't going to make much of a difference, right? Jesus spoke even about the religious leaders. 
who did this a lot. They were so sinful and corrupt and, and, and cruel to the people that he, he basically said, why do you look at your brother's speck in their eye when you have a plank in your eye? It's, of course, a, um, it's an exaggerated metaphor, uh, but, but, but you, you, you people have to, look, you have to look at yourself in the mirror. I think, I tell you what, every person, whether you're a believer or not, it's just a healthy thing to just observe and uh, analyze yourself. You know, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I get into that argument last night? What was it that that person said that triggered me to lose my cool? You know, that's just a healthy thing to look at ourselves. And I tell you, as Christians, it should be more prevalent. You know, and, and Jesus made it clear. We, we can do this as Christians. We can look at the speck, you know, look, looking for the speck in somebody's eye. And we don't realize that we've got a, a six by six, you know, 10 foot long in ours. And lumber's getting expensive. So you might want to sell that uh, and take it out of your eye. Okay, continuing on. Uh, verse 16 through 17. So there was a, a rationing and there was a... Um, there was a, an anxiety in regards to how they ate the food and drank the water. And Ezekiel, again, was a good man, but he was stuck there rationing his own water and his own food for an object lesson to the people. So you see the land of milk and honey goes to bread of affliction. You know, and I wonder, too, in the United States, we have so many blessings. When you travel across this nation, it's so beautiful. There's so many resources but our social fabric is, is, the fabric is starting to tear apart, you know, and the Prince of Peace has largely been ousted from public life, even from some in private life, even from, from many churches. It's the Prince of Peace that behind the scenes is the glue that brings society, society together. But as America moves more towards a post-Christian nation, you're starting to see that fabric disintegrate. We argue on a daily basis over some stupid things. We argue over our gender. We argue over our race. And now you watch enough TV. They want country people to dislike city people and city people to dislike country. It's just, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a rough area. And there were always these little kids that they would always try to go back and forth between the big kids and get them to fight. They would lie and tell things, you know, he said this about you, well, he said that about you. And then in recess, everybody would sit back with their popcorn and watch the two strongest kids pound each other. And you know who would come to break up the fight? Where's Pastor Vinny? The, uh, the gym teachers. And they probably they got punched a few times. If I can make an analogy to the United States, the media and a lot of our institutions are like those little kids that, that just go back and forth and get people to fight. And we're supposed to be the gym teachers. Seriously, because somebody's got to do it. As Christians, we're supposed to be the peacemakers. We're supposed to bring understanding and stop people from, you know, fighting each other. So um, it's really a sad thing. I wonder if, you know, when the social fabric, which is something that God created, starts to disintegrate, it doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how much gold is in Fort Knox. This country is going to come apart. And there's got to be more of us trying to bring people together. So that was a little aside. Um, I don't even know where I was with that. Okay. Squandering blessings. It's a good thing I have notes. Now, let's just look at this together. Some people see all of this at once. Ezekiel's lying on the ground. He's on his, let's say he's on his left side first. He's, he's still stiff. He's got one arm that's out and uncovered. 
He's got a plate. <laughs> it must have been very uncomfortable. He had a plate between himself and the representation of the what I call the Play-Doh City. And everyone is, and he's eating this bread, right, and drinking this water while he's laying on his side. Eventually, the people got it. I don't know if one really smart, observant person got it, and Ezekiel went, you know, like charades. I don't know how it went down. But if God set it up, then they were supposed to get it. Right, So I kind of look at this as it all coming together, all coming together. Now, God's heart, and we see this, listen, there are some ministries that just refuse to teach these prophetic books because they don't know how, and they're afraid. Well, will I lose church members? It sounds like a negative story. We need to know all of the scripture. And folks, even as Christians, when we read this, sometimes it develops a little warning light in the back of our minds that when we start to go and we stray, remember what happened with Ezekiel and the Israelites. Remember what happened with the siege. Remember what happened in Isaiah's day. Remember what happened when they had the land of milk and honey. Now they have nothing. There's nothing left. So this is, this is a good thing. And I got to tell you that as we go through this book, I believe that it's going to stretch us. Folks, sin leads to separation. It just does. It just does. But God's desire is to pick up the sinner, is to forgive the sinner. We see this all throughout the book, and we're going to see this through Ezekiel. And to to dust them off and to set them in a good place again and send them out to be prosperous. But repentance has to come first. And a lot of people don't like to hear that. And repentance, it's it's pretty intense, the word, but it, it literally means change, to change. You know, 20 something years ago when I turned to God and I was introduced to the things of Christ, I knew I had to make some changes. I knew I was going in the wrong direction. And even when we get off the track as believers and we can do this, we can backslide, we can stray. Repentance is a good thing because it opens the door to restoration. It opens the door to being picked up again by God and set in a good place. But God will not continue to foster bad behavior. He just won't. And these are valuable lessons that we have to learn. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.